0: We just got done talking to Jim Newberger, who is a current state representative in the Minnesota legislature and a candidate for U.S. Senate, seeking the Republican endorsement to challenge Amy Klobuchar next year. And one of the points that he raised on his way out the door was unwittingly to him, entirely apropos to what I want to discuss with you now in the 10 o'clock hour, and that is this idea of what makes us Americans. He referenced the film Uh, Bridge of Spies by Steven Spielberg with Tom Hanks. And he referenced a quote in that film by Tom Hanks where he says, the thing that defines us as Americans is our willingness to live under the same law, to live under the Constitution. And there is a profound truth there that we need to explore here tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. That's so and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in as always. If for some reason 9 to 11 doesn't work for you, you can catch up with the podcasts right there in your iHeartRadio app. Just do a search for Closing Argument. You can give us a call at 651-989-5855. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing the show. Certainly the theme over the past couple of weeks, certainly since the chaos that we witnessed in Charlottesville uh, a week ago, has been division, irreconcilable division within the country. And the only real question seems to have been division over what? Is it, is it division over which who amongst us are Nazis and who aren't, who amongst us are racists and who are pure and completely devoid of any sort of bigotry or irrationality? Is it a division bet- along party lines between Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals? And increasingly, as the days have ticked by, and we've seen a variety of reaction and analysis from many different sources, specifically to Charlottesville, and the, the wake of that in terms of events and, and comments from a variety of sources that have taken place, the, mo- the clearer it has become to me that the real divide in our country that we need to be focused on is not between Republican and Democrat. It's not between Trump supporter and non-Trump supporter. It's not between conservative and liberal, right? I mean, there are real substantial ideological divides that we need to be cognizant of, of, don't get me wrong. But the fundamental, the urgent, the clear and present divide, which must be addressed right now, is the divide between those of us who wish to live in a civilization governed by the rule of law and those of us who wish to live as barbarians in a state of anarchy where anything goes and might makes right. And you get to settle political arguments through violence, through conflict, through melee, with clubs and guns and bats that's the divide, and it's, it's rather inexplicable and perplexing that we found ourselves at this point in society where we actually have to have a <clears throat> conversation about whether or not we're going to tolerate violence, whether or not we're going to not just tolerate it, but endorse it as a legitimate means to advance a political and cultural agenda, and yet that's where we find ourselves. That's where we find ourselves. Those who wish to blur the lines between speech and violence have taken to conflating any defense of speech, any defense of the right to speak, as affirmation of the content of that speech. So, in other words, if you're not with anti-Fa, you're with the Nazis. I'm old enough to remember when that style of argument was rejected by the left, right? Right. In fact, the immediate aftermath of 9-11 or the immediate aftermath of any Islamic terror act, any argument along the lines of you're with us or you're with the terrorist was rejected out of hand as absolutism, right? It was even mimicked in popular culture as as something that – I, I think they had Lex Luthor say it in Superman Returns. You know, They had Obi-Wan Kenobi reference it in Revenge of the Sith, this idea of being an absolutist means that you're evil. If, you're, if you say you're either with us or you're with the bad guys. And yet that style of absolutism has been evoked in the past week regarding Charlottesville. If you're willing to defend not the content of the speech, but the right to say something, then you're just as bad of a, as a Nazi. This has led to the absurdity of calling Trump the father of a Jew an anti-Semite. Or somebody like me, a black man, a Nazi sympathizer, or a sympathizer with the alt-right, a movement that objects to my very existence and sees the existence of my children as a threat to the national identity, as a threat to national cohesion. I'm somehow sympathetic with them because I affirm their right to say the things that I disagree with. See, that's no longer a distinction. And furthermore, it's not enough to merely say that you don't want to let them speak or you don't want them to be permitted in the public square. You have to be affirmatively for using force, using violence to keep them from saying what they want to say. In order to be appropriately anti-fascist, in order to be adequately non-bigoted, you have to become an advocate of violence, an advocate of mob rule. Matt Walsh had something to say about this on his podcast recently. He said that an, agrin- an angry, violent mob can do whatever they want. That's where we find ourselves. That is an accurate summation of where we find ourselves as a culture right now. If, if you have the wherewithal to conjure up an angry, violent mob, you can get your way. There, there's an article here, we'll reference it later, Uh, involving Charlottesville. They just had their first city council meeting since uh, the chaos last week. And indeed, mob showed up, right? Demanded things go a certain way. And to a a large extent, they got their way. Why? Because we're unwilling to distinguish between appropriate action, rule of law, orderly conduct. We've, We've now conflated that with Force. Might makes right. You can just show up, and if you're strong enough, if you've got enough people backing you up, you just get your way. That is the opposite of the rule of law. But here's the thing. I firmly believe, and I'm willing to bank on, I'm willing to place, put my money where my mouth is, that a vast supermajority of this country, a vast supermajority of the people who you know the people who you interact with in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your churches, are still for civilization. They're still for the rule of law. They're still for the First Amendment. And so it falls upon us, that supermajority of Americans, who are made so through our allegiance to the Constitution and the principles which it it is crafted upon it is built upon it falls upon us to stand up and demand with with all the fervence and none of the violence of the hard left that the rule of law be upheld that violence not be tolerated that civilization be maintained Against the assault of the barbarians amongst us, who, despite the fact that they're a minority, are nonetheless empowered in a way that I have not seen at any other point in my lifetime. The likes of Al Sharpton is giving them purchase, giving them a place to hang their hat in our current political discourse from Politico. America's reality TV president has made America face its reality on TV. Now civil rights leaders across the country worry what will come from Donald Trump's equivocation on racism and hatred. And the country's struggle in the week and a half since Charlottesville to deal with a problem much bigger than a few hundred wannabe Nazis with tiki torches. Civil rights leaders talk about deep visceral fear about where this could lead and not in the usual political concern or objections. They are seeing a searing landscape of possibilities ahead, riots, violence at protests and counter-protests, deep psychological and emotional damage, especially among children. And then they get into the quote from Al Sharpton. We're in a poisonous atmosphere that is being increased by the president of the United States. It's like turning on the gas in a room, the Reverend Al Sharpton told me, speaking for the latest episode of Politico's Off Message podcast. Any match could lead to an explosion. And we're getting that kind of atmosphere from this president. If Al Sharpton truly believes that, if he truly believes that we find ourselves in a situation where the discourse in this country is analogous to a room filling, filling with gas. With the Lucky landslides, you can get lucky just about anywhere. and thereby cause irrevocable harm, then why are you still fiddling with the matches? Why aren't you trying to... And this is something that should come rather naturally to folks who are sympathetic to the Black Lives Matter movement, because Black Lives Matter is always talking about it. Why don't you de-escalate the situation? Why don't you work to defuse it? Why don't you advise your allies amongst the left that they must reject, disown, and condemn all acts of violence. How about we start there? How about we just start there? Because these other divisions, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative, where you stand on Medicare or health care or taxes, all these issues, none of it matters at all unless we can first agree upon this one central premise— that we are a civilization that rests upon the rule of law and that in that context you do not get to punch other people because you do not like what they said. That has to go without saying. That should be something that is taken for granted that I don't have to spend a segment of time on the radio detailing and defending intellectually. It should not require defense. It should go without saying. And yet, Here, here we find ourselves. When we come back, I want to present you with an example of conservative leadership on this issue. Because the the fact of the matter is, folks on the left, like Al Sharpton, are gonna need to step up. I don't believe he will, but they're gonna need to step up and confront their own, confront their own team in order to actually diffuse this, in order to actually steer us back on the course of a civilization that runs on the rails of the rule of law. Conversely, conservatives, Republicans, are going to have to rise up who are able to persuade and inspire us to return to these first principles. And until we do, all these other arguments are going to be moot. If we can't live in a society where you can can trust that you can go out to the state fair and express your political views without fear of violence being inflicted against you and the police standing by and doing nothing, if you can't do that, then you do not live in a free country, and the rest of your opinions no longer matter. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Over the weekend, we had one prominent member of the Minnesota political community come out and author a commentary at the Pioneer Press that dared to attempt some moral leadership from the conservative perspective on Charlottesville and the the broader social implications that have manifest in the wake of the chaos which took place at this point over a week ago. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, 651-989-5855. That individual was former Senate Majority Leader Amy Koch, a Republican who has remained active and uh, can be heard on the Wrong About Everything podcast, which is produced right here at Twin Cities News Talk. This is what she had to say over the weekend at the Pioneer Press. This isn't who we are. The vile conduct seen in Charlottesville this past weekend stands in contrast to the neighborly way of life enjoyed in our local communities. Let's remember that. We're each offended and appalled specifically because the hateful rhetoric of the torch wielding alt right speaks for none of us. Indeed, it proves anti American. What does that mean, anti American? Those who came before us, despite their flaws, left a legacy of freedom. They inspired us with dreams of a better world, where aspiring achievers gain honor and earn respect through demonstration of character. We each conduct our lives in keeping with that legacy, raising our children to respect others, providing for our needs and those of others. That's the American way. And it runs 180 degrees counter to the white nationalist alt-right. Conservatives in particular elected conservatives, bear the responsibility to strongly condemn the Charlottesville fascists in the strongest possible terms. We need to use our moral voice to defend conservatism from their horrifying view of American society. If the reverse were happening and the left-wing organization or a left-wing organization were using hateful rhetoric to advance a similarly objectionable anti-American viewpoint... We would call upon the left to disown that speech and rightly cry foul when they failed to do so. And so, it's our responsibility as conservatives to walk the talk. Frankly, we must condemn them precisely to defend conservatism because fascists invoked our name. They're trying to trade on the movement that we built in order to pervert it. After all, the meeting was begun under the moniker, Unite the Right. There is nothing conservative about advocating for a government intervention to deprive someone of their God-given rights. There is nothing moral about advocating violence against people for simply being born. It's not American. It's not conservative. And saying so should not be difficult. As we do so, we must uphold the very values which the alt-right seeks to destroy. These bigots would like nothing more than to provoke us into abandoning our sacred principles. They celebrate as we smear each other and contemplate selling out our values in order to silence them. They would cheer as we restricted fundamental rights of assembly and speech. If we hope to truly defeat the alt-right and everything it represents, we must remember who we are. Our strength did not emerge from tribal conflict. Our nation was not forged from a single ethnic heritage. Our legacy proves more lasting and significant than that. We have thrived, ascending to a mantle of leadership on the world stage due to an idea that makes race irrelevant. We believe in the power of community, forged through common purpose and empowered by choice to overcome any obstacle. Our faith in that idea stands upon solid ground. We've seen it upheld before. When tyrants have sought to overwhelm us, we have come together as Americans to push them back. When our own failings have threatened progress, we have come together as Americans to correct our course. We prevail when united, and unite we must. I'm an American. I'm a military veteran. I am a mom. This is, again, Amy Koch speaking at the Pioneer Press. As a proud conservative, I stand against the dangerous anti-American demonstration we saw in Charlottesville. Join me in condemnation, but not fear. Let them fear us. Let them wallow in frustration as we overcome their attempt to sow disunity and chaos. Push back their darkness with our light, as we always have and as we ever will. That, again, was a commentary from Amy Koch, former Senate Republican majority leader and uh, current business owner and political strategist, writing at the Pioneer Press. That, ladies and gentlemen, is moral leadership. And it's something that, you (laughs) know— Quite frankly, it would have been nice to get a statement like this from the President of the United States on, I don't know, Sunday after the United the Right rally. And I think if he had people around him and if he himself was included in the category of, of people who actually think about this conservatism stuff, then maybe we would have. Because people who know what they believe in conservative circles, know what they believe and why they believe it, this does not come difficult to them to express something like this and this is that that's the importance of when we go to our when we have our primaries and our endorsement contests and we're out there looking for candidates we actually need to incorporate we actually need to if we're, if we're using a point system we need to score with many many points in the category of actual philosophical competence and moral credibility on what conservatism is and what it means and why it's important. Because that's what we need in this moment. When I talk about the the crisis that we find ourselves in, the the real divide, the real conflict which is not partisan, it's not I mean it's kind of ideological but not really. This kind of goes beyond ideology. I mean, I I again, I didn't think thou shalt not murder was a controversial statement, right? I didn't think you don't get to assault, you don't get to punch somebody, you don't get to assault somebody was something that we needed to debate in this country, regardless of our political affiliation, regardless of our ideology. But apparently it is. Apparently it is. And the only way we're going to get this train back on the tracks, because it has derailed at this point, it has derailed. And we're going to get into some examples of exactly how it's derailing when we get on the other side of the break. The only way we're going to get this train back on the tracks is if there is moral leadership from all quarters. And that that moral leadership, by definition, has to be directed not at the other side, right? Like if Amy Koch came out and wrote a piece talking about how horrible the hard left is and how horrible Antifa is, she would be right, unquestionably. She would be right, but it would not be important. Because any Republican, any conservative is going is to turn on the mic or click open their pen, push the button on their pen, and write that. Type that out. Antifa is bad. The hard left is bad. Democrats are bad. That's, that's a dog bites man story, right? What needs to happen is you need to have the courage, the moral courage to speak with authority to your own side and clean up your own house, and say, this is who we are. And it's not as though, just to clarify, it's not as though the alt-right is in any way whatsoever indicative of mainstream conservative or mainstream Republicans. Indeed, that's why this should be so easy. It should be really easy for us to remember and to recall and to point back to what we actually believe and what we actually stand for. It should not be hard, which makes it so mind-boggling that so few people have been able and willing to step up and do it. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. There's a real lack of clear thinking in the aftermath of Charlottesville. And, you know, I suppose it's not sudden. Charlottesville has acted merely as a catalyst. You know, Al Sharpton was talking about matches in a gas-filled room. Well, I guess you could apply that analogy to Charlottesville. It is the match in a gas-filled room that has sparked a reaction, a cultural reaction, a rhetorical, ideological reaction that had been building up for a very long time and what we're what we're discovering in the aftermath is that our discourse and the the political spectrum is in the midst of radical change it's being radically upended and redefined we now find ourselves in a situation where it has suddenly become controversial to say hey you know you can disagree but maybe don't hit each other. That's now a contra- controversial statement. That, that is now something that you can't just take for granted, that violence is not tolerated in our society. That questions regarding something like whether or not a certain statue of a certain individual ought to remain erected in a public space, that that can no longer be decided through the deliberative process under the rule of law, but that instead it's going to be decided by the whim or at the whim of a violent, angry mob. That's where we find ourselves. Compare this to just a year ago. Our producer, Brad Omlin, pulled this for me. Just a year ago from NPR News, the headline was Confederate Battle Flag Supporters to Rally at Minnesota Capitol. A Minnesota-based group has been given a go-ahead to hold a rally in support of the controversial Confederate battle flag on the Minnesota Capitol Mall next month. The group, calling itself Minnesota 10,000 for Southern Heritage, plans to hold the rally on the morning of September 5th. We feel this flag should be allowed to fly and seen as an image of heritage, according to the group's application. We do not condone violence, hate, bigotry, racism, etc. for those choosing to use our flag to promote their delinquencies because of its popularity the Confederate battle flag has been widely condemned since a gunman killed nine people in an attack on an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, in June. The flag was removed from the grounds of the South Carolina state capitol last month. B.C. Johnson, who applied for the rally's permit on the group's behalf and said he is African-American, blames the Obama administration for the backlash against the flag. And it goes on to detail uh, his thoughts and justifications for why they are putting together this rally. Now, we bring your attention to this from just a year and a half, two years ago, because it stands in contrast to what's taking place right now. This group went on to have their rally. And by, by all accounts, there was a counter-protest. Nobody died, right? I, to my knowledge, there were no assaults. And maybe there were. If, if there were, it, it didn't spark a national conversation about race, Right. What changed? What changed between then and now? It's a question worth asking, don't you think? Bring us forward to today from the Star Tribune. The Charlottesville City Council voted to drape two Confederate statues in black fabric during a chaotic meeting packed with irate residents who screamed and cursed at counselors over the city's response to a white nationalist rally. The anger on Monday night's meeting, during which three people were arrested forced the council to abandon its agenda and focus instead on the tragedy that surrounded the rally. Covering the statues is intended to signal the city's mourning for Charlottesville resident Heather Heyer, who was killed when a car slammed into a crowd protesting the rally. I think what you saw last night was a traumatized community beginning the process of catharsis, Mayor Mike Signer told the Associated Press on Tuesday. The council meeting was the first since the Unite the Right event, which was believed to be the largest gathering of white nationalists in a decade. The demonstrators arrived in Charlottesville partly to protest the city council's vote to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. That removal is in the midst of a legal challenge. A state law passed in 1998 forbids local governments from removing, damaging, or defacing war monuments, but there is legal ambiguity about whether that applies to statues such as the Lee Monument, which was erected before the law was passed. A judge has issued an injunction preventing the city from removing the Lee statue while the lawsuit plays out. So, just to recap, there is a legitimate, ongoing legal and political discourse process taking place regarding whether or not they ought to maintain this statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Now, you'll note, I have not taken a position on this. I don't know that I really have one, to be honest with you. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. It doesn't really affect my life. I think that's where most people stand in the country. It doesn't really affect your life. It doesn't really matter to you. In the broad scheme of things, on a day-to-day basis, in terms of the context of the life that you live and the choices you make and the values you pursue, whether or not a statue exists somewhere in the world doesn't really have a big effect on your life, Right? But be that as it may, there are people for whom on both sides, there are people for whom this is an issue of some perceived importance. And they have drawn their battle lines proverbially and pursued change through legitimate law-abiding rule of law processes going to their city council, going to their state legislature, pursuing legal governmental action to pursue whatever objective it is they wish to obtain. Now, and, and you know, it hasn't even played out, right, as it's pointed out here in the Star Tribune. Decision hasn't ultimately even been made as to whether or not the is going to stay up or go down. And so it can't even be said that all possibilities have been exhausted in terms of pursuing one outcome or the other. And yet, here we are. Here we find ourselves talking seriously about the the justification for violence as a means to address it, you know. The article goes on to point out that the that the meeting, the city council meeting, which took place uh, tonight or was it last night, Monday, was totally disrupted by people who were speaking out of turn. And, and this is thing that something that people don't seem to understand. They think that their their First Amendment free speech, civic participation rights, allow them to just walk into a city council meeting and throw a big nasty fit and say whatever they want whenever they want that's not how it works there is a there is an order of business and your responsibility your obligation is to respect that order of business because as it turns out you're not the most important person in your community your rights do not trump the rights of everyone else who elected those people to take care of the city's business according to an orderly agenda, right? And yet, this mob was able to come in to the city council and to upset the established order and to basically derail city business and have their way. Is, is that the path to a productive future? Is that how we're going to to move these processes forward? A process which, incidentally, as as pointed out in this article, was already moving forward, right? They had already made the decision that they were going to get rid of the statue, there's there in an ongoing legal contest over it the charlottesville situation if you're going to object to charlottesville at all and how it was handled by the city the the rightful objection would be hey why didn't you guys enforce the law right why didn't you have law enforcement agencies out there that were actually pulling people off each other when they started to assault one another that's where i'd start if i was there to speak but you know whatever they have they have a broader concern but this this is my my concern here is that we're now at a point where instead of having an order of business, instead of having the rule of law, instead of having a civilization, we're going to have violence and chaos and anarchy and mob rule. And it's being justified. It's being justified by the mainstream on the left. And one of the, one of the last bulwarks of liberty on this issue, the First Amendment, the ACLU, is caving. They're caving. From Vox.com. The ACLU has blood on its hands. It was a not uncommon sentiment in the wake of last week's Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in which 32-year-old Heather Heyer was killed and far-right activists assaulted and intimidated counter-protesters. The ACLU had sued the city of Charlottesville to allow the Unite the Right rally to happen downtown, and now it had happened and blood had been spilled. Now, notice the conflation there. This may sound familiar because we had Jamar in last week, and he made the exact same point, right? That issuing the permit to the neo-Nazis, to the alt-right, issuing the permit was somehow state sanction of the violence which occurred at the rally. That is utter and complete nonsense. It's nonsense on stilts. You don't, there is no permit, there is nowhere, there is no jurisdiction in the United States from coast to coast. I'm confident in saying this. There is no jurisdiction anywhere in this country where you can pull a permit to kill somebody. All right? License to kill is not a real thing, it it does not exist. What they pulled a permit for was to have access to a space in order to engage in a rally for a particular use. That's what they had the permit for. Now, Once violence occurs, no matter who starts it, the responsibility for responding to that rights violation falls upon law enforcement. And yet, not content with that, not content to uphold the rights for even abhorrent people with abhorrent views to speak, the left is now pressuring the ACLU to no longer defend the rights of organizations that say things that people don't like. And the ACLU is capitulating. The ACLU is buying into it. They're saying, you know what? We're not going to defend the Nazis when they want to march in Skokie, Illinois, anymore. A case which has been the bedrock of the First Amendment for for a couple of decades at this point. That places us in a very dangerous situation as a culture. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. We got a lot to try to cram into our final segment this evening on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We begin with unconfirmed news that's popping up on Twitter right now. An innocent bystander has allegedly been shot near 6th and Hennepin, downtown Minneapolis. Uh, And apparently, and again, this is according to an unverified report on Twitter, Two people were arguing. One pulled a gun, shot and missed the other, and the bullet hit a bystander, an adult male. Um, that It's, it's in the, the the point where it hasn't made it to the newspaper as of yet, so we, we can't verify any of it. But uh, certainly it's horrifying to contemplate. And yet, even as something like this happens, you know, before Charlottesville, before a week ago, we could look at an at a incident like that and we could shake our heads and think to ourselves, God, that's horrible. But at least we live in the United States of America, where something like that is universally condemned as an action which should not be taken. Now, what if it turns out that the guy who was just shot tonight in downtown Minneapolis was a Nazi? Well, apparently, according to many folks on the hard left and increasingly the mainstream Democratic Party, well, that'd be perfectly okay. We ought to give the murderer... Presumably, allegedly, some sort of medal, some sort of civil commendation for taking on the Nazis, right? Because violence in the face of opinions that we don't like is suddenly justified. This is a very dangerous place that we find ourselves heading. And the ACLU, which has been a bulwark upholding the First Amendment, upholding the freedom of speech, is now caving under pressure from the hard left to no longer support the free speech rights of the most abhorrent groups amongst us. And, you know, if they do that, if they abandon, which they are, if they abandon the First Amendment and cities move forward with a combination of, as, as they reportedly are, one, enforcing permits— Because that's one of the things they're talking, which onto itself, I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with you enforcing permits and saying, hey, if you're not permitted to be here, you don't get to be. If you're not permitted to have your counter protest, you don't get to have it. If you're not permitted to have your rally, you don't get to hold it. I'm totally fine with that. But when you combine it with what the left wants to add, which is content-based permit denial, in other words, actually being able to say, we don't want you here, we don't want to let you have your march, we don't want to let you have your rally, because of what you're going to say, the combination of those two things adds up to the First Amendment being effectively dead. Because at that point, government can control what gets to be said in the public square. It's no longer equal access to anybody who applies for the permit it's What What are you going to say today? And do the powers that be like it? Can it be classified in some obscure, totally subjective way as hate speech? And if the answer is yes, then you don't get to talk. That's where we're going to find ourselves. I do want to address quickly because I teased it in the first hour and we're going to have later this week on Thursday, at least the plan is right now, to have uh, uh, Jake Dusenberg and Dave Benner, friends of the show, uh, who have both been guests uh, in their own right. In to kind of have like a pseudo libertarian panel to discuss President Trump's recent speech on Afghanistan and discuss foreign policy and how the United States ought to conduct itself in war. This speech that Trump gave, and I said at the outset of the program tonight that I actually liked it. There, there were a lot of things in this speech that I liked, and I don't have time to go through all of them. But just off the off the top of my head, I like the fact that he changed his mind, that in light of new evidence. He came off of his position that he had during the campaign and entertained a new one. I'm not one of these people who's looking for gotcha moments on flip-flops, right? It's one thing if the change on on a position is motivated through sheer politics or because somebody gave you a campaign donation or something along those lines. But when you can actually come to me and say, hey— Here's the evidence that I was presented with. Here's the argument that I was presented with that I had not entertained before, which I actually found to be persuasive. And as a result, I have changed my mind. That is a good thing. And I actually respect that, even if I disagree with whatever the ultimate decision is, because at least you're utilizing the, the proper judgment in order to arrive at your conclusion. And this is not something that I would have credited Donald Trump as being capable of before, basically before today. And so, to my mind, it's, it's a huge development, it's a good signal, of, and hopefully we'll see this type of reconsideration moving forward from Donald Trump. I like the fact that he, sh- he wants to shift away from a focus on nation-building to an objective national security strategy. In other words, looking at what do we actually need to do objectively in order to protect the United States and its citizens from those who would do us harm. I like the fact that he wants to re- lift restrictions, which have been nuts, on rules of engagement, and and actually, you know, have soldiers' lives matter once more, right? Instead of just being being put out there to be to be thrown away, basically, in order to satisfy a, a type of military security theater, actually having an objective to secure a defined victory and then get them out of harm's way. I like all of that. Now, my response to this differs from my libertarian friends, many of them, as it usually does in areas of foreign policy, and that includes Dave Benner, who did not like the speech and said so much on social media today, and Jake Duesenberg, who also was not a big fan of the speech and articulated as much on social media today. So we're going to have them both in on Thursday to have a nice little libertarian debate on the subject, so we hope you'll tune into that. Real quick, Anthony, you got about 30 seconds. Welcome to the program. Hey there. Um, I just wanted to say that was uh, with the last... I, I don't understand what their reasoning is for removing the Confederate statute when, when it actually comes down to it, they have no facts. They have straight-up emotion, And I, I, I just don't understand how these people can, like, live. Like, this, this is crazy. <laughs> and um, another thing, I don't know if you knew this, every... Dictionary that's past 2009, that's that 2009 and has rewritten the definition of fascism as a right ideology. Hmm, man. Yeah, that that is a travesty. Appreciate your call, Anthony, as always. Yeah, on a proper, on a useful political spectrum, because a a political spectrum is a tool, right? It helps us think clearly. On a useful political spectrum, Nazism, communism, anarchy, all of those things belong on the far left because they all result in, they are all the opposite of the condition of liberty, which is enforced by a rights-respecting government, and that should be on the far right, where we should all happily be. Closing argument, tomorrow night we'll have Amy Coke on to talk about her commentary in the Pioneer Press. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. plus